glad that uh, you're here. I know that for a great many of our folks, they're traveling this weekend. Some have taken Monday off as well to be coupled with uh, the Tuesday holiday and making a long weekend of this. But we're so glad that you're here joining us online this morning. And if you're a guest, we would especially like to be able to reach out to you and have a personal and offer to you a personal greeting. So we do hope that during the course of this service or at some point during the week, you will uh, uh, text uh, FL Respond to the number that Justin gave to you earlier, 833-571-3475. That way we can reach out to you and maybe talk with you about whatever it is the Lord is laying on your heart, whether that's to be a follower of Jesus Christ and what that looks like, the implications of that, or as a follower of Christ, become a part of our church family. We'd love to have that conversation with you, and we will look forward to that. We are going through the book of James and uh, have been there for quite some time. Uh, don't go to James this morning. We're going to take a break from uh, James just for this one week. Because we have so many people that are out, uh, I want us to take a break from James. We will come back to that next week. But this morning, what I want to do is to go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. And as we come to verse 1, you have to know that in the previous uh, chapters, going back to beginning with chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has been describing for the, the churches of Galatia in much fuller detail uh, than perhaps they understood previously, the full salvation, the understanding of this redemption that God is accomplishing through Christ Jesus and that the implications of Christ, his life, his ministry, his sacrificial death, all of this points to the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that you are as the people of God. You are the new Jerusalem. And with that, there are implications. One of those implications is found right here in chapter 5. In verse 1, where he says, Paul wrote, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, don't, don't get tied down. Do not allow yourselves because of the freedom that Christ has accomplished for you. Uh, and being a part of this new Jerusalem, don't allow yourself to get tied down by, uh, by the chains of slavery. In other words, you as the people of God, you should want more. Want more. Long for more. Desire more, knowing that you are a part of this great salvation as we understood through our study in the book of Romans, this salvation is so much more, the salvation that God is accomplishing is so much more than just you missing hell and making it to heaven. Now the, prop, the appropriate biblical understanding of, of this salvation that God is accomplishing is for, is for the entirety of the created order. And because of the magnitude of this, of this salvation, you as the people of God should desire more, long for more. This is why Jesus would say, it's recorded in John's gospel in chapter 18 in verse 36. This is why Jesus would say to those disciples, my kingdom is not of this world. When you think about the salvation of God as you contemplate, as you reflect upon the kingdom of God and being a part of the kingdom of God, understand my kingdom is not of this world. So don't allow your thinking 
to be, to be driven, to be, uh, to be influenced by the models of this world, by the influences of this world. I don't think in terms of political power, don't think in terms of militaristic power. Though, those are things for establishing earthly king. My kingdom, Jesus says, is not of this world. Want more. Long for more. Being a part of the people of God, being a part of this new Jerusalem, being a part of the kingdom of God means I, I, I want to know more. I want to know more through Christ Jesus because of what God is, is accomplishing. I want to know more than just rules and laws. I want to experience more than, than this kind of previous religious life that, that was dictated by the traditions of men and rules and regulations. I desire to know more, to, to experience more, to experience a faith that grows and flourishes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as a result of this journey of faith. I desire to know more than that which can be proven and seen and in a laboratory. Oh, I want to be a part of something that, that is transcendent. I, I want more. I want more than what this world can possibly offer. And so when Paul writes, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Oh, hearing those words, church, I think we have to ask ourselves, do I truly want more? Or do I just want what this world can offer? Do you truly want more? I'm sometimes asked why I don't acknowledge secular holidays that have been created by greeting card companies or, or even established by, by Congress. And a part of that is, is because of the call of God as a minister of the gospel. My, my task in, the, in, in this calling of, of being one who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it is not to create within you more and more attachment to this world. Uh, it is not my, my calling to play upon those, those sentimental emotions that, uh, on holidays that, that would seek to hold you all the more hostage to this world. But to make you as the people of God more and more aware with each passing day that God's kingdom is not of this world. And my desire as a pastor and the proclaimer of, of God's truth is to say that we must want more than what this world can possibly offer. That what God desires for you, what he would have you to experience in the, in the magnitude of his salvation goes far beyond any kind of sentimental emotion that, that we might conjure up. It is a salvation in what God is accomplishing that goes, that goes far beyond just the pleasures 
of the moment. Yes, the pleasures of the flesh that long to be desired right now. Paul says, no, you've been set free from that kind of longing and to long and to want for more. Oh, we see this in a landmark study that was done in 1972. We've seen, probably seen different versions of this in different places, but it was done by Professor Walter Mischel at Stanford University in 1972. He was a social psychologist, and he did, a, he did an experiment with preschoolers and a bag of marshmallows. He sat across from those preschoolers, and he offered each one a marshmallow. And of course, each one took it gladly. Mitchell said, now, now there's, there's a catch to this. You, you can eat that marshmallow right now. I'm, I'm going to leave the room. And you can eat that marshmallow right now. Or if you'll just wait 15 minutes, that's when this hand gets over here. If you will just wait 15 minutes and not eat that marshmallow, when I come back, I will give you another marshmallow. Well, you can probably guess the results. The overwhelming majority ate the marshmallow as soon as he left the room. Did you know in the years that followed, Michelle continued studies on that, that sample group, his study group of those children as they grew up into their teen years, their high school years, collegiate years, young adult years. He tracked them out and found out that those students, that those preschoolers who, 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 who denied themselves in the moment and were willing to wait until he came back, did you know that they had higher scores on their SAT, had greater success professionally, indicated that they were happier in life and had better health? Now, if your child has ever been to one to eat the marshmallow, don't worry. Subsequent researchers have found that Michelle's study was flawed in many ways. That it was far more, there was far more involved in what he was doing than just willpower. That there were certain socioeconomic circumstances and factors that were, that, that were, that were not included in that, and that should have been a part of that study. But the implication remains the same, that good things come to those who wait, who are free from the tyranny of the urgent to gratify the flesh right now. Good things come. <laughs> what Paul is saying, good things come. In the providential purposes of God, good things come to those who wait, want more, desire more, long for more than what this world can ever offer. But there's another side of this. If you've lived long enough, you've experienced somewhat what I will describe to you. Freedom isn't just about the freedom of which Paul 
rights. It has many implications, and, and it certainly shouldn't be understood as just, just about being free from the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Because what, what Paul describes here, and it is nonetheless true, that freedom can also mean liberation from that which you never knew to be holding you back. Liberation from things that, that maybe you would think you can't even do without. Paul's words may mean a liberation that brings pain to your life but opens doors of opportunity that you would have never imagined if you weren't wanting more. Ludwig von Beethoven, he was considered heir apparent, artistic heir apparent to the recently deceased Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Beethoven was being trained for, by the finest musicians, the finest masters. His primary influencer, his teacher, was Joseph Hayden, the famous Joseph Hayden. He was influenced by other mentors, masters, Antonio Salieri and Johann Albrechtsberger. In his 20s, it was known that before them was perhaps the greatest composer and perhaps pianist the world had ever known. And yet he wrote his doctor in 1801 at the height of his, uh, of his, of his popularity in his young 20s. He wrote to his doctor in 1801 that there was a, a strange buzzing in his ear, a ringing in his ear. He was losing his hearing. The more he was dealing with the loss of his hearing, the, the more frustrated, more angry he became. It became, it became obvious that he Beethoven was going deaf. And yet he continued to, in his rage, in his anger, his frustration, he insisted upon performing upon the piano. He would ruin pianos, banging so hard. He would write to his doctor and say that at the theater, he had to, he had to sit close to the orchestra to be able to, to hear the performers. And then if he sat too far away, he, he couldn't hear the dialogue, he couldn't hear the high notes, nor could he hear the high notes of, of the orchestra. It became obvious to everyone around him and even Mo and Beethoven himself that he was going deaf. Oh, what a tragic end that would seem. I mean, a pianist, a composer, they, they can certainly do their craft with, without sight, without legs, but not being deaf. 
And you would think that was, that was the end of the story. But it wasn't. With what little hearing he had, he found creative ways to continue to compose his, his music, but, but it looked different through each decade of, of his life. He would die a young man, age 56. But in a study that was done some years ago, I think in 2011, published in a British medical journal, it was found when you examine the string quartets of, of, Mo, of Beethoven in, in his 20, 20s, they were all, over 80% of the notes were high notes. What they were calling high notes were over 15, 1,568 hertz cycles. But that dropped to less than 20% high notes, which he couldn't hear, less than 20% high notes in his 40s in his string instrument, in those instruments. seemed like that when he was totally deaf, going into his 50s, that surely would be it. Not at all. In fact, it was in his 50s that Beethoven would prove that he was the world's, arguably the world's greatest composer, even though all the music, as he was totally deaf in his 50s, but that all of his compositions now were in his imagination. His magisterial piece, Misa Solomis, and his great ninth symphony were written in his 50s, composed in his 50s, when he was totally deaf. And he used more high notes in his 50s, notes he couldn't hear in his 40s. He used more high notes in his 50s than in all previous decades combined. It was when he was liberated from his hearing. Liberated from his hearing. What a young composer, a young musician can only imagine being the worst thing to happen in life would become the very thing that would define him as the most creative composer the world had ever heard. Because in his deafness, as his music was being created in his imagination, no longer did you hear or see the influence of Joseph Hayden, his teacher, or Antonio Salieri, and others who had influenced his composition during his hearing years. But that it wasn't until he experienced the worst that a musician could imagine, that his most productive work was accomplished. That once he was set free from hearing, 
He did his greatest work. I don't know what pain, hardships you may be bringing with you today. What trial, what struggle that is the battlefront of your life, even now. But I do know what this cup signifies and the promise that we have in it. It is the, the very symbol of what Jesus has said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That Christ, for the sake of freedom, has come to set you free. And that yes, even as you have been set free from good circumstances, even as you have been set free from maybe what you would desire, and as you're struggling with adversity and hardship, that it is through these very things that the very best version of yourself is formed and fashioned by the Spirit of God in having you to become what maybe you cannot even see right now. As you take the bread, Jesus said, this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And having taken the cup, the Lord blessed it and passed it to his disciples. He said, take this, drink. This is my blood which has been shed for the remission of sin. And Father, as we partake of this wafer, of this juice, Father, I pray that we might be reminded that we are a people that have been set free. And that in that freedom, the Father, it creates within us a thirst, a longing to want more, to experience more, to become more than what this flesh would seek to hold us to. That what this, as Paul would say, this present evil age would limit us to. Father, might we leave here today as a, a transformed people, a kingdom people, that we in our lives might be marked by a wanting for more, and that it might be evident in the lives that we seek to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, 
Amen.